0: welcome to the state of the lakers podcast on dash radio this is wednesday and we are going to be covering nba media day specifically with the la lakers raj how you doing this morning man
1: doing great doing great beautiful wednesday morning here uh we just went through media day uh pretty hyped through that and um, i think i'm ready to eat some crow uh not yet but uh, pretty soon here but i'm doing great man how are you
0: Oh, I'm coming for you, Raj. I'm coming for you. Um, so, just quick announcement, guys. We uh, this is the first week of our partnership with Dash Radio. To make a long story short, it's just another place where you can find our our show. Um, uh, specifically, just go to dashradio.com or their or their Twitter page, and you'll be able to find uh, how to access um, uh, their specific platform. Our podcast will our show will still be available as a podcast in the same feed that it always has been. For those of you listening on Dash Radio, all you have to do is search State of the Lakers, and you'll be able to find the show there as well. Um, But nothing different other than that. It's going to be the same thing from Raj and I, as is usually the case. This is going to be the last of our normal podcasts before we get into our post-game spaces primarily, with mixed-in regular shows as well. Um, But we appreciate your guys' support, and we're super excited for this season. So, um, we're going to start with this AD at the 5 News. That was the big thing that stood out to me about that specific day of interviews. You know, you and I were on the same page for the most part in the sense that we thought that AD would do a little of both, right? Like, we thought he'd play center and we thought he'd play power forward. As opposed to last season where he almost solely played power forward. So there was going to clearly be a difference. The main the main fighting point between you and I was, will he start at center? Which is more just the symbolism of what AD is willing to commit to. And then also, it's about starting games off on the right foot. Getting guys in a good rhythm early, because you have good spacing early, which sets the tone for the rest of the game. And what was interesting about yesterday was, We still got some conflicting information because we had uh, AD come out and say that he's going to start at the five, most likely. We had another report come out that said, explicitly stated that AD would play more center than he ever has as a Laker. But then we also had Frank's interview where what he said was more along the lines of, you know, in the first year he was 50-50. Last year he mostly played power forward. It's going to be more like the first year. That's explicitly what he said more like the first year, uh, which is a little bit contradictory to some of the reporting that we've seen. So, you know, I have a theory about this, uh, specifically why they decided to go this route. But let's start with this, Raj. Do you have any uh, condolences you'd like to offer or apologies (laughs) to the Lakers community for your stubbornness, your outrageous stubbornness on this topic? So, you know how,
1: like, when you're, like, at a party and uh you have the food in front of you, but you're not, you know, you can't eat yet because, like, you need to wait for everyone to kind of get there. So, you don't want to eat yet. I have the crow in front of me, but we're, like, four days away, right? So, like, I'm not ready to eat it yet. I will eat it on, like, in four days if if that's what happens. But I've been pretty clear on this, like when I said I, I believe Anthony Davis when what he says like with what he said in the past I believe him like what Frank Vogel says also matters to me but like when AD comes out and says it that kind of changes me a little bit like it was pretty clear um, he he went back and forth a little bit but he said the plan is for me to start at center and then from there we can kind of see in matchups maybe Dwight and DJ starts and I think that That was a big thing for me. That's the first time I've heard Anthony Davis pretty clearly mention that um, he'll be playing setter pretty much uh, for the majority of his minutes and even starting there. And I think that's a big deal to me. Um, It it seems likely that he's going to be there now. Everyone's kind of got what they wanted on this, and I've been pretty clear. I don't think it mattered too much to me because he plays it when it matters, but obviously something with Russ, AD, and LeBron click for him to where he wants to start there now, and, I, and it does It does help them. That I've never disagreed that they're better with him at center. I just always thought it was okay for him not to start there, but it looks like he will, and uh, I thought Russ's comments also went into that. We'll get into that a little bit later, but... Um, it seems like he'll start there, so you guys are right for now. We'll see in four days, but you guys are, are right for now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and I'm with you, man, because uh, this could change so fast. Uh, AD, AD could go through two days of training camp going through the pick-and-roll coverages and be like, nope, <laughs> right. don't want to do this. Um, anyway, so I have a theory about this, and it actually stems from Ross's comments, so we can kind of start there. You know, to make a long story short, Russ just basically mentioned how Anthony Davis at the five just makes the game a lot easier for everybody involved. And, you know, I think I think when AD came to the Lakers, LeBron was very accommodating Uh, just in general. I mean, the the, the story of the of that first game that they played together against the Clippers was like almost force feeding Anthony Davis at the in the post to try to get something going for him. LeBron has been super accommodating to AD over these two seasons. And I think AD came in and said he wanted to play the four and LeBron was like, fine, we'll make it work. You know what I mean? Russ, I think, I think where you and I kind of missed the boat on how obvious this was that AD would move to the five more primarily is Russ's personal experience playing basketball over the last few years. If you remember in Houston, he really struggled to start the year with Clint Capella Mm -hmm. playing center and the problems that that caused for their spacing. Then they traded Clint Capella, made PJ Tucker, the center stuck him in the corner where he actually had a really, really good season shooting corner threes. And essentially Russ's season exploded. He wasn't even taking threes and he was averaging, you know, over 30 points a game on over 50% shooting because no one could keep him from the basket. And, you know, Russ has shown some self-awareness. There was another uh, part of his interview where he explicitly mentioned that he struggled uh, uh, with rest because he plays so hard. And he attributed some of his later career, you know, health and success to embracing rest, understanding that with how hard he plays. Well, I think he his self-awareness has expanded to understanding that he needs the driving lanes. You know, when he was young, he was so incredibly athletic that he could beat his man off the dribble. And even if there were big men waiting for him under the basket, he could just float around them or dunk over them. You know, that was what he was capable of doing. Well, now he doesn't quite have that same nuclear athleticism around the rim. So he needs more space to operate. And I think he understands it. I think he sat down with LeBron and AD and was like, this is awesome, guys. I want to do this. But just so you know... I watched your playoff games. <laughs> there was there was no space to operate. I think I think that's kind of where he was. And and I think he made it clear in no uncertain terms to Anthony Davis that the only way this was gonna work is if he played more center. That's my theory. What do you think?
1: Yeah, and it's crazy. Listening to Russ talk, like I saw someone else sound uh, talk about this earlier. He does sound like a guy that has been humbled. Right, like he does sound like a guy that like knows what his position now is on this team. Um, it felt like when he went to Houston, him and Harden were kind of peers, right? And like he saw themselves as peers. It's crazy hearing him talk about LeBron. Even yesterday, um, he was saying, like, he's done a lot in his career but LeBron knows how to go to that next level. And this is Russell Westbrook talking about that. Russell Westbrook, who's been an MVP in this league, who's been to the finals, who's had his own teams that made the playoffs. like It's crazy hearing him uh, talk about that, and it's cool to see him kind of reflect on his career, and he seems ready to do that. Um, We didn't even talk about this either, that, um, the, I think they had the athletic article right earlier as well that kind of reported what the starting lineup would be, which yeah. would be Russ, Ellington, Ariza um, with Braun and AD. Um, which and I, I predicted kinda,
0: on the podcast. Woo!
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't think Shams and I think it was Shams, Sam Amick, and Bill Orham who all report that. And I don't think that comes out without really strong kind of sources as well. Right. They wouldn't they wouldn't project the starting lineup unless they knew it. So it seems like that will that's what it's going to be. And that totally makes sense from a basketball sense. You've, you've laid that out, laid it out. I've said that Wayne, i am really excited about Wayne Ellington. I've said that a few times. I think he's probably the perfect shooter to put next to him. Trevor Ariza started a bunch of games from Miami as well. I think he's a perfect fit. So it seems like they are going to this modern basketball, as you wrote about as well. Um, they're moving toward this modern, modernized type of game where 80 is at his best position. And that seems like what they're going to, and this should be 80s year, right? I think his comments were really great too. Um, he said the team kind of talked to him about we go as far as you go, and I believe that. I've been preaching this all summer that this is the year of Anthony Davis. Westbrook is awesome. LeBron's going to beat LeBron James. This team goes as AD does. His dominance inside is what will make them, and him playing with two passers like this, I'm excited for it. So if he's going to start at center, they're going to gonna win a lot of games. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you know, LeBron actually mentioned angry Anthony Davis is what he was looking yeah. forward to this year. And I thought it was interesting because we've not really heard much from him, um, over the summer. It's just been a relatively quiet summer for him for obvious reasons. He uh, got married, but you know, in, in general, I think that, uh, um, Anthony Davis is the type of guy who's not very outward with his motivation, which is a good thing because it's just it just means that like his silence is almost like a sign of his his discontent with the way things went last season. Uh one last note with him at the center that I think is important, like, you know, we want him to play some power forward. You know, there are specific yeah. there are specific matchups where it makes sense, you know, th- and there is going to be some overlap, you know, for instance, if you're playing Jokic or Embiid um, you know yeah Anthony Davis can guard those guys probably better than Dwight and at the end of games you probably will do it that way but you know over the course of a game in terms of throwing different looks at a superstar to try to disrupt their rhythm and flow you know putting a guy like Dwight on those guys to be a pest on the ball and then having Anthony Davis off the ball clogging passing lanes is a nice wrinkle to throw at a superstar to try to 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 mix things up a little bit. You always want to throw different looks at a superstar so they can't figure out the same look that you're throwing at them. An example I'll give is like there was a play in the in the uh the first round last year where Jokic or yeah, it was in the first round where Jokic was posting up against the Blazers and Michael Porter Jr was in the opposite corner and Jokic threw this like ridiculous looping pass That just barely got over Robert Covington's fingers and landed right in Michael Porter Jr.'s shooting pocket and he knocked down a three. Like if that's Anthony Davis guarding Michael Porter Jr. who was in the power forward position at that point in the game, Anthony Davis is getting that ball and he's running the other way. And now Jokic is forced to play isolation ball. There's a lot of wrinkles that you can get in specific matchups against superstar centers with Dwight Howard at the center position. So I I certainly like that as a mix-up. It just should never have been their primary punch. It never made sense to do it that way. And one of the thing, and the 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 last thing I'm looking forward to with it is. You know, Anthony Davis in particular kind of goes as his jump shot goes. That's been the way it's been over the last couple of years, with the exception of some playoff games where he can be really physically imposing. Well, g- giving him the space to operate offensively underneath the basket is going to make it so much easier for him to get his rhythm by getting easy shots at the rim, which inherently leads to the confidence for him to make jump shots. So just in general I look forward to all of the stars getting off to quicker starts and being able to make more things happen. Last note about the the starting lineup, you know, there's been some pushback from Lakers fans. Oh, they want Baysmore maybe instead of Ellington. I think the thing that people are missing with that specifically in my opinion is Ellington's a specialist. And when you have three superstars on the floor, Guys like Russ, LeBron, and AD, who do so much, to the point where you don't need almost anything out of those guys. Even just with LeBron and AD, we saw this in the first season when they won the championship. When your two stars are wrecking balls, you don't need KCP to do anything other than knock down open shots and attack a closeout and defend like crazy. That simplified role plays directly into what Ariza and Ellington do really, really well. Ellington's hyper specific elite skill, which is off ball movement and shooting fits like a glove with the three stars. Whereas with a guy like Bazemore, he's actually a little bit better at attacking closeouts. He's a little bit better as a, as a slasher. He's a little bit better. He's a little bit more athletic in transition and he can also knock down some shots. His, his, he's capable of a bit more, albeit not as good as a shooter as Ellington. That makes more sense to use in lineups, with less star power, maybe with two stars on the floor or one star on the floor because you might need him to do a bit more. I like the idea of plugging specialists in with the three stars and using your ball handlers, your Malik Monks, your your Wayne, your uh, um, Kendrick Nunn types when the stars are staggering because you actually might need them to do more. Does that make sense? Am I explaining that well? Yeah, yeah, it does make sense. These are all really specialists, and I think people
1: – Are really going to be surprised, like how good a shooter Wayne Ellington is. Like, he's not just a spot up guy. He's a guy that comes off handoffs. He's a guy that flies off down screens and comes up and is able to square up to the basket beautifully, um, and take jumpers that way. Um, just really quickly on the, uh, AD at the five stuff one last time. Where's it going with this? I lost my train of thought. <laughs> but, but yeah, with, uh, with Wayne Ellington, though, I agree with you. I think he's going to be great. And that's, if he starts there, um, and he talked about it as well. He wants to shoot like 45% from three or something like that. That's his goal this year. We saw in the playoffs, like Joe Harris, who's a guy that, you know, obviously he had a, he struggled in the playoffs, but he's a guy that you don't want to leave. But just because of the next three stars, like he's a guy you have to kind of leave open. I see Wayne Ellington getting wide open shots in that way. Um, Trevor Ariza as well. Um, he's going to get wide open looks. Oh yeah, where I was going with this was like, I like your point about being like a primary, like it not being your primary attack, right? And it feels like, are you the aggressor or are you the reactor? And it feels like we've been the reactor for a while, right? Even in the playoffs, we went down 0-1 in the first two series, and it's because we were kind of reacting to Houston, reacting to Portland. Um, and Russell Westbrook's not a reactor. He's an aggressor, uh, maybe to his detriment sometimes as well. Um, he's just a more aggressive person who doesn't change no matter what it is. And I think they're kind of moving towards more of that. It still is LeBron's team, eighties team, but it is going to j- kind of adjust to be Russ's team as well. And they're going to start off with this fast pace to kind of accommodate to him. And I think that is the right move here um, to start him at center, to start AD at center, give him more space and just run teams off the floor early. And have that be, I guess, your adjustment now, right? You you be the aggressor there, and then you kind of react instead of reacting to the teams. We talked we talked about the slow starts last year. All year we would start to Bael Mcgee uh, or not last year, um, Marcus All, whoever it was, just uh, whoever was starting at center for him. So I'm excited to see it. But uh yeah, I like the way Ellington. Point. I think Basemore could start. Ellington talked about it. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a, a matchup for who starts at the two guard, and this now opens up a three. The three spot as well so we'll see who starts but um i think that starting lineup that he projected is right i think that's what we'll see on sunday
0: yeah and, and for the record you know you and i both said that those other spots would be open to competition training camp training camp competition they actually explicitly stated in the report that tht could get the spot um uh, yeah. if he has a good enough camp so it's <clears throat> it's certainly up for the competition you know uh uh if Baysmore, for instance is so so much better as a uh, as a defensive player than Ellington in camp and he's also hitting, you know, 40% of his threes in camp. That's going to be something where Frank's going to have a tough decision on his hands as as it pertains to what he's going to do with that starting lineup. But competition is good, you know, like I I've shared this example a couple times on the show, but like, you know, uh it's a good problem to have too many good players. You know, when I was in yeah. college I, I shared this on uh, the last pod or two pods ago. But, you know, we had like 13 rotation-level players my, my senior year in college, and our practices were just unbelievable. And the second team would beat the first team all the time. You know, it, was, it wasn't it was an uncommon occurrence. And it made us better to have that level of competition. It will make Russ better to have Rondo just going at him every single chance they get in at training camp and, and vice versa. It will make – Malik Monk will grow more as a defender – understanding that all of these veterans around him are going to lock in on that end and he has to in order to get his opportunity this kind of that kind of accountability and competition just naturally breeds better basketball players and and breeds an environment where guys are more committed to giving their best effort every time they get a chance and and I think because Frank's always gonna have an option Frank's never yeah. going to be in a situation where he's looking at the next guy on the bench and being like, uh, he's so much worse that I have to stick with this guy who's not playing super well right now. He's going to have the option at any given point, at any given position to find somebody who can slot in and do what the other guy's not doing. And that and that will just, like I said, just kind of breed a success. Um, but yeah, that's kind of all I have as far as the eighty at the 5 stuff goes. Do you want to kind of break down some of the other um, quotes that we saw from media day?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, like, uh, one of the guys who had a really interesting, I thought, Prince conference was uh, Ken Basemore. And, again, like, he's in competition, right, for this starting two-guard spot as well. Um, We'll see if he starts there. But it's funny listening to him talk because he just seems like the young guy in the room, right? Like, the way he just talks and the way he's kind of speaking in, in this humility – this is his 10th year in the league. Like, this is not, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like he's a rookie coming in. So it's cool to see him kind of speak about this and his kind of experience. And you kind of forget, like, how long he's been in the league. Um, So one, one thing I wanted to ask you about, because I thought this was really interesting. Uh, he talked about, like, practicing where his shots come from, right, like as a shooter. And we don't really think about that. We just think of guys getting in the gym, and just putting shots up and stuff like that. But I just thought... He talked about like how he practices threes and he talked about how like when LeBron and when LeBron drives, you know, moving to the corner. So he has a passing lane to him. Um, AD in the post um, when Melo gets double teamed. I'm um, just really cool kind of quotes like that from him. Uh, what like. What do you think about that? Like shooters, I guess, practicing where their shots come from? Cause I think really, that's something really interesting that we don't really discuss here. But, um, just getting into like the detail of basketball, I think that was cool for him to kind of bring that up. Where do you see his shots, I guess, coming from? Like, I guess, do you just see him as a spot up guy? He talked about how he's more than that. Like, he can attack the rim off closeouts and, and all that kind of stuff. So like, what do you see base more as, I guess, like where his shots, man? Is it mainly just spot up threes or do you see him as a little bit more than that? Cause I think he was, he was a really interesting kind of combo yesterday.
0: So uh, first of all as it pertains to to spots on the floor for shooting it's all about comfort like comfort's everything yeah. like if if all if all things are equal why does a shot miss and a shot go in you know like a lot of times yeah. it has to do with You know, the rhythm and muscle memory, when you've got a good rhythm, you've established your muscle memory. That's why you start making shots. You know what I mean? Whereas if you go a long time without shooting and then you catch your your rhythm is just a little off, your muscle memory is not quite dialed in yet. You might miss ugly or a lot of players. They have to have their fingers on specific spots on the seams in order for them to feel comfortable. That's always been a thing for me. I struggle personally shooting. If my fingers get off the seams, it's something yeah. that I've been working a lot on is, is, is not practicing on the seams every time. Cause that's just going to be the only time I'm ever comfortable. Well, the same thing extends to spots on the floor. You know, the corner for instance, is a really tough spot for most players. Cause it's so visually different than where you're shooting mm-hmm. elsewhere. And the misses are also super ugly. If you miss, it usually goes way long and, and it can, it can psych you out or something along those lines, you know, <clears throat> Whereas if you hit the front rim from up top, you always have the po- the possibility of it coming in off of the backboard. You know, uh, for me personally, I always felt comfortable on the wings. That's where I felt like I had the most space to operate. It kind of fit naturally with where spot up shooting is located on the floor and it gives me more space to operate. That's just the way it is for me. But each player is different. They have their own little areas of comfort. And, you know, with a guy like Kent Bazemore, I'm not sure where those spots are specifically for him however he probably knows where he feels most comfortable he also is probably aware of spots where he will get shots this season where he's currently uncomfortable and he needs to practice and he'll figure that part out where do i think he he fits in personally i view him as like the spitting image of kcp because he's a Mm. really good athlete and in addition to being a really good athlete He's got really good one-leg bounce, and he's got good length, and he can extend. That was always KCP's thing, if you remember. In transition in particular, but also attacking closeouts, he could take off that left foot, extend that right hand out, and no one could block it because of his athleticism, and he'd get all the way to the rim off of one dribble attacking a closeout. Well, Kent Bazemore is going to be able to do the same thing going left, In addition to that, he's just a little bit more polished in the things he can do attacking closeouts, like one dribble pull-ups, floaters, and different finishes around the rim. If he has to elevate and finish on somebody, he can. He's the one guy in the guard core who will play off ball, who has that that KCP type of just really solid but simple type of closeout attacking, and I think he's going to fit in great there, especially on the defensive end, by the way. He's also the closest we have as an archetype to what KCP did defensively. He can lock and trail. He can apply ball pressure. He actually applies too much ball pressure sometimes and picks up a lot of <laughs> fouls. Although our guy, Jackson Frank, actually dove into that a while back. And, in. <clears throat> He got a lot of crap from Golden State fans for picking up fouls, but that's kind of his style is I'm going to be super physically aggressive at the point of attack, use my hands, hopefully they just won't call it. And if you actually look at the numbers, he didn't do that badly in terms of, yeah. of, of drawing fouls. So I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of Bazemore. I think he's a fantastic fit. I don't think he'll start, but I think I, I'm, I, I'm a big believer in what he brings to the team. I think it's a seamless fit because we've seen it before with KCP.
1: Yeah, and I, I like the defense point you probably brought up about that. And he talked about that as well, um, how he's on this team. He can be more aggressive, right? Because he has more bigs around him. Um, he was watching like Dwight, uh, DJ and AD kind of take a picture together. And he was like pointing to them. He's like, um, they're the reason I can kind of uh, be more aggressive um, at the point of attack. And he's going to be one of the big defenders on this team to me um we kind of forget but Bazemore used to be like the prototypical three and d guy that you'd want on our team like when he was starting for those Atlanta Hawks teams that were winning a, shit, a whole ton of games before being beat by LeBron um he also talked about how he played with uh, Damian Lillard uh, a couple years ago then he played with Steph last year so he knows kind of how to play among uh star players and winning players and, and it was cool ta- hearing him talk about defense as well he was saying like how Defense is like a team thing, right? You're not really stopping one player ever. So, like, it's more of a team kind of game. And when you have big men um, at the rim, uh, you can kind of just funnel your guards there. And just if they're shooting over bigs all night, then uh, you've kind of won there. So, I thought it was huge. I, I liked hearing him talk. Um, the other guy I guess I had wrote down was basically Wayne Ellington. Uh, we talked a little bit about him, but he kind of went a little bit deeper into like uh, him playing with, I guess, AD and uh, him, him as a shooter, I guess, the kind of gravity that he brings. And, uh, it was cool hearing, hearing him kind of talk about the X's, zones and details of that, like how he can play off of AD as, like, you can't really switch that and and you, how, like, you're going to have to you to make a decision, I guess, on those two when you're playing them. You have to make a decision on who you want to guard um, in that. So, like, if you want to talk about a little bit, like, what do you think he does for, I guess, AD? I guess because AD hasn't really played with a shooter like this, I guess. Like, I guess the best shooter, I guess, was KCP. But, like, I don't think he's really played with a shooter of the level of Wayne Ellington. Even in New Orleans, I don't think, like, was... I don't know if he's had a, as good a shooter as Wayne Ellington in New Orleans as well. But what do you think that does for I guess AD as well or even LeBron in that case? Cause I thought that was really interesting that Wayne Ellington kind of brought up what he could bring um as a shooter and wanting to shoot, I guess, forty-five percent from three, which I don't think is really sustainable. But um I, I just think that's cool that he's coming into this, uh coming into this with those kind of expectations.
0: Wayne Ellington is the first real shooter that the Lakers have ever had. Um, even if you look yeah. at Ben McLemore, he is a real shooter, but he like if you're if you're putting all those guys in a group, he's way at the bottom of that group in terms of guys who have a track record in the league of just being really really, really good shooters. So I would say that Ellington is the first that the Lakers have had. This is something that the guys from Laker Film Room talk about all the time, and I think it's actually super uh, um, relevant here. They talk about how, like, you know, the difference between a 33% three point shooter and a 38% three point shooter over the course of a season might be like seven makes, right? Yeah. It's not, it's not really that big of a difference. That's, that's what differentiates, like, a, a Kyle Kuzma from a KCP, for instance. Two guys mm-hmm. that I think are capable of knocking down shots but neither of which are what you would call a shooter. KCP just happens to be a guy who made a few more over the course of the last couple seasons than Kyle Kuzma did. You know, <clears throat> the difference between the way you guard a a guy who can shoot versus a shooter is 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 it's a chasm between the way those two things are guarded. With KCP and with Kyle Kuzma, you're kind of in a traditional shell drill. You're just closing out and you're living with the results. When you have a guy like uh, Wayne Ellington on the floor, it is a panic that it sets on the defense. I mean, we remember this because he lit the Lakers on fire last year, and he has a track record of doing this throughout his career. When you're guarding a real shooter, you're not in a shell drill. You're maybe two steps away from the guy. And Mm -hmm. most importantly, because when these really gifted shooters that can move around off the ball, you can't be in a shell drill. Because he's going to find some sort of way to, you know, fake coming off a pin down and then flare out and you're going to run into a screen and now he's wide open in the opposite corner. These really good off ball shooters, you have to stay glued to them all the time, even when they don't have the ball because of their ability to move around off the basketball and catch you sleeping to find open shots. The Lakers have never had a guy who does that. So that's what he can do just kind of in and of his himself to draw guys towards him a gravity, so to speak, in the way that helps the offense. Now in screening actions and dribble handoffs and things like that with Anthony Davis, it's really not all that complicated. You either have to switch it, um, yeah, you, you have to switch it, but you can't. It's really that simple. It's like a pick your poison kind of thing. You're basically either going to give Anthony Davis a matchup against a lock and trail guard in the post, or you're going to let Anthony Davis set the screen, in which case Wayne Ellington's going to be open. So in that case, really your best case scenario is is to stay glued to Ellington, and maybe if you get lucky, you force Anthony Davis to take a wide-open jump shot. But even that isn't a great defensive possession, because if you let Anthony Davis take wide-open jump shots all game long, he's going to eventually get it going, and he's going to make you pay. So the 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 anatomy of offense with a real shooter on the floor, it's, it's a real, real shooter as opposed to a guy who can't shoot. It's hard to even describe there's so much that it does to help the team and that's specifically why he's such a great fit with the starting lineup is that gravity is basically like playing four on four with lebron ad and 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 uh and russell westbrook and if you happen to venture that fifth guy in there wayne ellington's gonna make you pay every time
1: yeah for sure and i didn't even realize he shot 42 percent actually from three last year which is Really, pretty insane to put on this team. Uh, put next to the the stars that we have, um, so he's gonna be great. I'm excited to see it. Uh, also, our guy and that's what guys
0: glued to him all the time. That's what that's what them guarding him like like in his jersey all the time. Forty two percent. That's insane. Yeah, insane. Yeah, and he's a guy that fires away right as well.
1: Like I think when he's coming off those pin downs, like his first read is like that big right. So if that big's down, I don't think he's really worried too much about the lock and trail right? He'll just fire because he's so good. Tech- on intense technicalities um, while shooting. So I'm excited to see him. Our guy, Rouge, also asked him about this on his pod. We didn't really get into it last time. And he went to even more detail on that, how, like, yeah, you can't switch that because then AD, like you said, has that lock and trail guard on him, and he can just throw it down. And he talked about how AD is such a good passer as well, so you can find him. Um, excited for him. The uh, so next one was, like, DeAndre Jordan. I thought had an interesting press conference as well. I don't know if you were able to hear his whole thing. Um, he, had a, he had a short little stint um but uh he kind of he kind of talked about uh you know how they had the little mini camp i guess um lebron has his uh mini camp that he didn't have last year so maybe that's why you know they're they're uh they won a title when he's had the mini camp he didn't have it his first year uh here he had it his second year um uh, but he talked about how like lebron threw some like insane passes at him um that he has to kind of get used to <laughs> which is uh, which is was funny because he played with james Harden last year you know so he's like so he said uh he has to kind of get used to how lebron sees the floor. And I kind of thought about that from like a big view. Like he's not only playing with LeBron, he's also playing with Russell Westbrook now. And again, I know he played with Harden last year. I just think LeBron and Russ are like at a different pace of that than Harden plays at. Harden's a little bit more slow style. Russ and LeBron kind of push the pace more. So I was going to ask you, like, what do you think about that? People having to adjust, I guess, to how LeBron passes. And to me, I think it's the other way. I think LeBron kind of adjusts to how his team goes. I guess, like how his teammates cut and kind of finds him there. So what do you think about that balance? I guess from like players having to adjust to lebron and russ or them adjusting their teammates like how do you think that works how, how quickly do you think they can kind of adjust to each other i guess
0: i'm not particularly worried about deandre jordan because he used to play with chris paul and so that from that true. standpoint yeah. there will be a little bit of an adjustment period just kind of seeing the angles that lebron throws those passes um you know chris paul is probably a little bit better of a not a little bit but he's he's a better lob thrower uh, then LeBron, just because he played with lob threats his whole career, as opposed to LeBron, who kind of had to uh, uh, enter that phase later in his career, like the, the best lob threat that he really played with early on was maybe Tristan Thompson, which is just not in the <laughs> same stratosphere as those other guys, you know, <clears throat> whereas, you know, between Tyson Chandler and DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin, Chris Paul has just existed in a world where he could just throw the ball up towards the rim. Um, I'm not worried about DeAndre Jordan. He'll adjust a little bit to it. But at the end of the day, it's all about being ready. You know, DeAndre Jordan yeah. has good hands. He probably is just used to in Brooklyn over the last couple seasons and Dallas before that, not really having the the same level of awareness around the basket, being ready all the time for that kind of pass. As far as adjustments go, you know, and Russ mentioned this, and this is just the simple fact of the matter. The NBA regular season has its ups and downs. And Russ, yeah. Russ talked, he's like, there are going to be games where it looks like it doesn't work. And then there are going to be games where it looks like it's firing on all cylinders. That's just the way it is. I mean, the, the reality of the situation is is if you clicked on a random Brooklyn Nets game against the Cleveland Cavaliers last year, where they went, zero and two, you might've sit there and been like, Hmm, this Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving thing just doesn't really work all that well. You know, that's kind of the way you would, you would look at it because you caught it in a one game setting. And that's just kind of the natural progression of basketball. I mean, yeah, you probably remember this from when you were playing, but sometimes you just go through like a week stretch where you don't shoot the ball particularly well, and then all of a sudden the next week you can't miss because you're in a really good rhythm the whole time. That's kind of the way it is offensively for all of these guys. They're all very high IQ players. They're going to figure it out. There will be some adjustment, but not much. I'm on the record, and I've said this before. I expect the Lakers to fire on all cylinders right away relative to the rest of the league because it's really the same type of setup as last year. You've got LeBron and AD, who already have chemistry from two years, and you've got a dribble drive guard uh, in the form of a Dennis shooter slash Russell Westbrook. <clears throat> Is Russ as good of a shooter as Dennis? No. But Dennis was a bad shooter, too. So it, it, it yeah. wasn't exactly like Dennis was getting left open all the time. You know Russ is actually just a massive upgrade over what lebron and a d or what lebron and a d were working with last year with Dennis, and with Dennis, it worked and you know for all of the complaints about offense and they were legitimate, they had like a i 'll have to look it up, but they were over one fifteen I think was their offensive rating with LeBron on the floor, so they certainly weren 't struggling to score they just yeah. weren 't as good as the top tier teams because they kind of nuked themselves with their spacing. But at the end of the day, I think uh, when you get this many smart players in a room, they're going to figure it out. But at the same time, we know how this goes. If they go if they go to Phoenix in the second game of the season and it doesn't look good and they lose, you're going to have all these people on Twitter and elsewhere saying that the, this Lakers fit is clunky and it doesn't make sense and this team can't win but those are just the same people that are always waiting around for the next failure and they'll be quiet when the Lakers go on a 10-game winning streak later on so this is this is all part of the process it's all part of 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 just the anatomy of an NBA regular season it's going to look ugly sometimes it's going to look pretty sometimes but these are smart players they'll figure it out
1: yeah it's funny listening to like DeAndre Jordan talk it just He's even sounds so eerily similar to like when Dwight came. You know what I mean? Like he's just a guy that's very comfortable in who he is now and what his role is going to be. Um, again, maybe he starts, maybe he doesn't, but he just seems like he understands and he understands basketball and it's pretty much what he said, uh, in his comments. So it's cool kind of hear him talk. He's also kind of goofy as well, kind of like Dwight. They're almost like the same player almost in in some weird ways, but I'm excited for him to see what he looks like. Um, So the last kind of quote I guess I had written down, was like we talked about him a little bit as well, but I think Trevor Ariza is really interesting. Um, So Trevor Ariza is 36. When you hear him talk, like he doesn't, like you don't, see him as old I guess like it, it just doesn't come off on the screen so like when I heard him and then you think about how he's played 15 years you don't really see it I think it's 15 years in the league now for Trevor Reese or something like that um so he said like he pretty much said he's like a plug and play type of player um and I think that's really interesting and a guy like that you don't stay in the league that long without knowing I guess how to win I guess like my question for you I guess like I, I he might start I guess as well do you see him as well as like just, just a plug and play type of guy like you could just put him anywhere I think he's going to be really important defensively, which is weird to say for a 36-year-old. But again, we talked about it before. You don't start that many games for Miami unless you know what you're doing. Eric Spolso doesn't play Fools as well. I, I'm excited for him, and he's probably in the most minimized role he's ever had, I guess. Like I remember him in Houston, but he was a big part of that Houston team. Uh, he's a, he's one of their main uh, shot makers i guess um and i don't think that will be his role here he's just he'll hit a few threes but just do the little stuff and i think he can still do that for 20 minutes again so what do you think about trevor reza his comments were interesting um he's like just play me anywhere i really don't care like that's i'm here to just do the little stuff to win which is interesting to hear about a guy who's you know had such a long career so what do you think about his role i guess um and his comments uh from yesterday
0: yeah, the plug-and-play thing was the big thing that I wrote down uh, from his interview. Um, you know, it, it makes sense because it's arguably the easiest position to plug into any NBA offense, which is the 6'6 six, six to 6'9 six, wing who can guard the other team's best uh, wing scorer and can knock down 35%-ish of wide-open corner and wing threes. That's that's just the easiest archetype to plug into any offense in the NBA. Um. You know, he mentioned, you know, the very first thing I said when we signed Trevor Ariza, if you remember on this pod, I said he just has played a lot in the last couple (laughs) of years, like minutes, like heavy minutes. Like last year in Miami, 28 minutes a game was his lowest minutes total over the previous like five seasons because all of these teams that he shows up on lean extremely heavily on him because of what he brings to the table and how valuable it is to an NBA team. You know, and and it's a testament to the to his work ethic and and what he what he brings to the table and and the the little niche that he's carved out for himself in the NBA as a guy that everybody needs. You know, and and it's wild to think about when you when you really dig into because I was thinking about this with Carmelo because Carmelo, yeah. you know, he he said he said in his interview he's like I've been around a minute, you know, and and it's kind of crazy because it's his I think it's his 19th season as well because he came in the same year as LeBron. Uh, For him in in his 19th season, as a dude who's lost like a solid 60-70% of his original athleticism, to still have a spot in this league as a rotation player on a championship-caliber team is such an accomplishment because this is a league that every single year brings in 60-70 new players to try to see if they fit in the league. And for a guy that's that old and that unathletic relative to the young guys coming in, to continue to carve out a spot, both Ariza and Melo, it's just a testament to their work ethic and their professionalism. And I and I think and I think it's awesome. And, and also, it's just a, another thing too is it's just you know veteran savvy. We talk about this a lot. The scar tissue that forms from losing basketball games. Mm-hmm. They've over the years have just developed an innate understanding of how to win basketball games. The little things that matter, the the little offensive rebound crashes here, the little transition sprints there, the little extra closeout here, the little extra effort there that could be the difference between you winning a championship and you losing in the first round. Those are the kinds of things that these older guys are very attuned to. And, you know, that was kind of the theme of the, the press conference was these guys, they, you know, they didn't even view – the old stuff as bulletin board material you know what they said <laughs> they said they laughed at it they laughed yeah. at it and as they, that's a, as they should because you know the when you're an older basketball player you should view that as a sense of confidence in your experience not as a as a as a detriment to what you can do on the floor and uh, and yeah I'm, I'm, I'm particularly excited about a reason i was probably one of the higher laker uh, people in terms of of how I felt about the Ariza signing. And I kind of expected him to start and I'm glad he's going to get that opportunity. I think he's going to be the rock. I think he's going to be the guy. That's just the dependable plug-in to every good Laker lineup that they end up throwing out this year.
1: Yeah. And I I like that you brought up Carmelo. Uh, It's interesting hearing him talk as well. He's another guy. Like he speaks like, like he's been around, you know, like nothing is new to him. And he's another guy just seems so comfortable now who he, who like in what he is. And for a guy that's been a superstar in this league a top four or five player in this league in his prime it's interesting to hear him talk about his role and how they they told him like hey you're a 40 percent three-point shooter now he's like yeah well you kind of have to be <laughs> to, to stay in the league so um it was cool to kind of hear him talk about um, what he's going to be this season and this is like my sixth or seventh media day I guess like where I have really actually followed um the players who talk and this is the first time I feel like where every single press conference was insightful, and every single one of them felt like I felt like they could be in the rotation. Aside from Austin Reeves, um, who uh, you know who's a young who's a young player that they just signed, but other than him, every other player could play. I mean, Tht even who's twenty years old, um, they were talking to him about his like you know, what's your role and how you're going to defend. And this kid's like 20 years old, you know, it's just funny to watch. And he's going to be probably in the rotation. So I think it's interesting. I just want to ask you like your overall theme of media day. Cause when I was watching, like, you know, we, we kind of, uh, well, I guess it's our job to kind of go into the details and be really granular and, you know, talk about the percentages and talk about, you know, the health, like how the defense is going to work. And sometimes I also feel like we overcomplicate stuff like, Russ, LeBron, and AD is just a shitload of talent, and then <laughs> there's just another. There's just a bunch of other shitload of talent on the team. Like when I'm watching Media Day and they're taking pictures together, it's Carmelo, Dwight, LeBron, AD, Russ. Like sometimes we just overcomplicate stuff. So I want to ask you, like, what was your overall theme? I guess of Media Day watching, uh, watching all the players and, and stuff talk uh, from yesterday.
0: So, you know, I'm with you. I picked up on the insightfulness too. There were a couple guys who were a little short. Like, you know, I yeah. thought Mal- I thought Malik Monk was kind of just. You know, uh, not I think he was just trying to get through the interview kind of kind mm-hmm. of deal, uh, you know, but but all the guys, you know, this is another asset to being older is, yeah. you know, you've been in so many press conferences that you've developed a sense of, of just comfort and confidence in those types of environments. So no different than you and I do in podcasts. I'm sure if we went back and listened to our first podcast, you and I would be, you know, completely uh, blown away by how far we've come in terms of just how comfortable we are. And uh, I think that's natural, uh, and you're going to see that with older teams. They're just wiser and more thoughtful just because they've been around longer. You know, in terms of overthinking the roster, I'm 100% with you. I mean, a less talented version of this team in 2020 uh, won at a 64-win pace and uh, before the bubble and then, and then went into the bubble and basically killed everybody. Um, yeah. Last year, they were winning at a 64-win pace before everyone got hurt. They had a little bit more talent than the previous year, but it was kind of a more clunky fit. Well, this is the most talented of all three teams and the clearest, most obvious basketball fit in terms of, of, of what would, uh, what would work in the modern NBA. So, you know, I think you're going to, I, everyone might rub this in my face if it goes off the rails, but I'm extremely confident in this group. I've said it before on this podcast. I think they're going to win 65 games. I don't think people understand how quickly this is going to all mesh together in terms of. Just the sheer amount of shot creation mixed with shooting ability on the floor, and and with the spacing that they're going to be going to be playing with, you know, you're right. Like we should we shouldn't overthink this by any stretch of the imagination. They they have uh, a competition that will push them all to get better and stay motivated during the regular season. They have Russ's motor and all of the things that that's going to do for Anthony Davis and his inconsistent effort and just the overall vibe of the team on on any given night you know i think we all know we can get what we're going to get out of lebron but obviously with younger players and with other players it's a little bit more of an ebb and flow and having a guy like russ around to invigorate those guys is is a huge is a huge asset but at the end of the day i mean it's it's really a simple basketball concept you want to generate quality shots right mm-hmm. and the the there's two elements to that Can you cave in the defense so that there are guys that are going to have open shots? And are those guys going to be capable of knocking them down at a high percentage? Well, in previous years, they've had lots of guys who could generate the quality shots in LeBron and Anthony Davis and Dennis Schroeder, even Rondo a little bit that first year. But everyone was just kind of okay at making shots. And that ended up being a problem for them, unless LeBron and AD were just pounding the ball in the paint and nothing and no one could stop them. So this is going to be that first year where these kickouts and and these guys attacking these closeouts are going to be really high level skilled basketball players. I've talked about this on the pod before, but six of the free agents they signed this summer shot over 40 percent from three last year. And one of them, Kendrick Nunn, shot 38%, but he had a really tough shot profile. And if you look at his open shots, he shot him, I think, like 46% or something on open threes. So at the end of the day, I think you're gonna, people are going to be blown away at how quickly this picks up. You know, Frank, this is actually a good thing for us to end on because I know we need to be out of here in five minutes. I'm interested to hear your opinion on it. Frank was asked about the defense, and he goes, yeah. you know, we, we lost some good perimeter defenders. We did. He's like, but um, we still have good perimeter defenders. And he explicitly said, I don't think we have any liabilities. Now I would disagree with him. I think Malik Monk is probably a little bit of a liability in terms of his ability to guard a bigger, stronger players who might get him on switches. And obviously, you know, Deandre Jordan is coming off of a few really bad defensive seasons. So obviously there, there are some defensive liabilities. However, we have said before on the pod that they do have lineups they can go to that are going to be strong defensively. But the big thing that Frank talked about, and this is something that's really important, is he goes, you know, it's kind of up to the guys. He's like, I- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in there and I'm going to coach defense, but it's about them and whether or not they buy in. And, and that's the truth, because we have all seen good defensive coaches have bad defensive teams because of a lack of buy-in. I mean, look at the Pelicans last year. Stan Van Gundy has always been a good defensive coach. Those guys just didn't buy in, and it hurt them uh, over the course of the season because their stars didn't buy in. Obviously, the Lakers are going to have the ability to, quote-unquote, get it back on the other end this year, right? They're going to have the ability to, oh, we gave up an easy layup on a back cut. We'll just go down and score because we have the offensive ability to score this year, which they didn't have in previous seasons, which is part of the reason why they engaged so much on the defensive end of the floor. Well, the the pathway to the Lakers being capable of beating a team like Brooklyn is being able to get it back on the other end but wanting to get stops anyway And, and buying into that end anyway. And it starts from the top down and LeBron has had a tendency in the past to when he's on really good offensive teams take it a little bit easier on the defensive end. As long as Anthony Davis and Russ and LeBron buy in on that end anyway and still have the ability to score on the other end, that's the path to the ceiling of this team. And I still think it's there, but I thought it was really interesting that Frank brought up like, you know, hey, there's only so much I can do. These guys got to want to do it. So what's your opinion on Frank's comments about the defense? Yeah, so I don't know if you heard like Palinka also because they've talked about how this is all a
1: collaborative process, right? between Palinka, Vogel, the stars, everything, putting the team together. Palinka a couple of days ago, um, he said, you know, defense definitely is about the personnel, like that's obviously part of it, but it's also part of the scheme and it's also part of how you teach it and also part of how guys buy in and you've you've, you've and you've definitely seen that with how the uh, how the team is how the team is built as well. So. I think they're betting on that. Be- they're betting on Vogel's scheme. They're betting on uh, they're betting on him be- to be able to transfer his defense over year to year. Last year there was a ton of turnover, and they still, as Palinka talked about, had the number one defense in the league. And I think they're betting on that. And now, is that a good bet? We'll see. I do think they've dropped off on defense. I, I do think you have to give. The perimeter defenders that walked out of the door, some credit here. KCP Crusoe we're great, you know, in their role as defenders. So we'll see. But I like to think. Uh, I think we talked about this earlier as well with Vogel saying there's no liabilities, and I think that's important. These guys don't have to be above average defenders for the way the team is built. They just don't. The offense is good enough to where they don't have to be. AD is good enough to as an help defender where they don't have to be above average defender. They just don't have to be liabilities. They, if all these guards become average defenders. I think you have a great defense, just the way that the team is built. So I think it's okay to to look at it that way. I think that's the way Vogel sees it as well. He's gonna try to get more out of them. I think there is some bleep, but with defensive talent. Taylor Horn Tucker, his first question yesterday was on his defense, like how he's you know what I mean, like how he's gonna be focused on defense. And I think that's the theme here and that's the role here and, and can you get the buy-in from the stars if you get the buy-in from the stars everything kind of else trickles down and you know ad in 2019 was the leading the leader of the defense and i think that's his job this year too, um to find that to find who can be the defender um to kind of make his mark on this team and and that's what he's gonna have to do and i think they can so we'll, we'll see how how it works on on the first day but Uh, I think they still can be like I think I said before, like a top seven defense. And I think that's good enough to where I think the offense is going to be absolutely bolstered this year uh, with the talent they have.
0: Yeah, it's all about buy in. You're 100 percent correct about that. As far as the personnel goes in terms of their talent, you know, they were the number one defense last year and everyone associates it to traditional Lakers basketball, so to speak. And there's some truth to that. But don't forget, like they were essentially weak in the front court defensively last year because Anthony Davis and LeBron missed the you know a significant chunk of the season and uh, uh, their other bigs that they brought in to replace Dwight and JaVale were not vertical defensive threats you know Marcus actually kind of became a below-average defensive center last year because of his inability to guard in the space and pick and roll and because he's not the same presence underneath the basket that he used to be. Montrezl Harrell, just really not that good of a defensive player. You know, Andre Drummond had his moments, but he wasn't really on the team for most of the season, and they still had the number one defense. You know, everyone is so focused on the guards this year and what they don't realize is just plugging LeBron and AD back in is a huge influx of defensive talent in the front court and then you also have Dwight Howard as a as a much 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 better defensive player than Marcus Saul and Montrez Harrell were Trevor Ariza is a player that the Lakers haven't had over the last two years you know that really fundamentally sound like classic archetype of an NBA wing defender they're I would argue there's actually more defensive talent actually available on the floor, God willing, if, with injuries than there was last year, and they were the number one defense. So I think people are overthinking that a little bit. Will it look different than last year? Yeah, it's not going to be the same scheme, without a doubt. But it's it's doable. And you know, the last thing I'll say about it before we get out of here is, you know, there are ways to scheme around defensive liabilities when the time comes. There yeah. are there are like there's they call it pre-switching. So for instance, like you have Trey Young on a guy in the corner. And he's hiding over there and, you know, the primary ball handler at the top of the key, uh, say it's Drew Holiday, calls for P.J. Tucker to come up and set a screen so he can get Trey Young on the ball. Well, what they'll do is they'll pre-switch. When P.J. Tucker goes, they'll just keep Trey Young down there, and they'll send another defender up with P.J. Tucker and just leave Trey Young in a different spot on the floor. That's an example of a way to fight that. There's also just simple double and recover type uh, uh, rotations that you can use to try to uh, make it so that you're forcing them to make complex passes out of double teams rather than just isolating your worst player defensively there are there are ways to work around this and frank is the man for the job in my opinion he's absolutely capable of figuring out how to make this work uh so i'm i'm I've, i remain very confident that the lakers will be one of the top tier defenses in the league this year is there anything else you wanted to touch on with media day before we get out of here
1: uh no i think that i think we covered it pretty nicely um i just want to thank everyone for their support i guess during the, uh over the whole summer uh it's been it's been awesome we're gonna get started here. Um, shout out to Dash Radio, uh, and our new kind of partnership there. But yeah, thanks everyone. The support has been crazy. So uh, Jason and I are really appreciate of it. Um, but we're excited to get started here. Preseason game is in four days. So uh, I hope everyone had a really good good off season. Again, thanks everyone for the support here.
0: Yep, I'm 100 percent on the same page. We I've been blown away by the support. And quite frankly, like I think this is gonna be one of the funnest seasons uh, in the history of the Lakers franchise. And I think that. I think that we're all in for the ride and Raj and I are going to do our best to cover it as best as we can and, and we appreciate you guys being there with us and we look forward to the spaces where we can have you guys pop up here with us and, and, and talk some hoops you know, face-to-face and, and have some fun that way as well. All right, everybody, you've been listening to the State of the Lakers show on Dash Radio. Thank you guys so much for your support and we will see you on Sunday. Thanks, everyone.